drop. Hey there, everyone. Christian Wynn, director of StoryFort here. And you're listening to StoryFort Presents, Voices of Treefort Music Fest, a weekly podcast that dives into the stories behind Boise's Festival of Discovery. Treefort Music Fest brings in hundreds of artists from all over the globe every March, though this year we are postponed until this September, and then we're coming back at you in March of 2022. But in the meantime, we're still here to tell you about all things Treefort. So, we're still in freakout February mode with a freakout artist, Acid Tongue, which consists of Guy Keltner and Ian Cunningham, who helped uh, found the label and are still playing music together and uh, holding the Freakout Fest in Seattle. And they are coming at us from Seattle and LA. And so, we're getting a little bit of a, I don't know, a cool mix of, of conversation about the places they're living in the time of COVID and making art in the time of COVID and also the rest of the unrest in the world. But that said, let's get to it. Here we go. All right, welcome everyone to the final installment of Freak Out February, which is actually going to be taking place in March, uh, this last episode. To wrap it up, we've got Acid Tongue, and I think with, with uh, if no Acid Tongue, no Freakout Records is a guest that I kind of have. Both members of, most permanent members of Acid Tongue are founders of Freakout, but we're not really here to talk about Freakout today. We're here to talk about Acid Tongue. Uh, so we have with us Guy Keltner and Ian Cunningham. I have a crazy question, Guy, before we talk about anything else. When you were growing up and thinking about music, were you inspired by the fact that you had the same last name as Tom Petty's drummer? You know, I wasn't even aware of it till I was in college. <laughs> I, I listened to Tom Petty too, and I had no clue. Like, I think somebody made a joke and it just went boom, like over my head, you know? Did you have like a moment where you're like, maybe, maybe I'm related? <laughs> I did. I, I, Facebook like came out like the year I got into college. And so I remember like trying to search for all the Keltners I could. I'm like, maybe Jim Keltner will be on there. <laughs> <laughs> I just learned this today too, so I'm way behind on the timeline of it all. So you're not sports guys, but there was a guy named Ken Keltner who ended Joe DiMaggio's 56 game hitting streak. Oh played, wow! Played third base for the Indians, and he made two. He robbed him of two doubles that game. Oh yeah, that was my uncle. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Let <laughs> me say hi. <laughs> all right, enough, enough of that. Let's get into what we're here to talk about, and that's acid tongue. So what we're going to do today, uh, listeners, you're probably used to it by now because we've used this format for a few other freakout bands. We're going to talk a little bit. We're going to play a little music and hopefully uh, by the music, get inspired to talk about more stuff. Let's start. You know, it's really impossible to avoid this when talking to anyone who created something in the past year. You guys put out Bullies uh, on March 13th and then the world fell apart. Now, I'm sure before that, you were probably, because you, you know, at the time, Ian, you lived in LA, Guy, you lived in- Well, wait, but what what happened on March 13th? I'm not aware. (laughs) Did anything significant happen in the world this year? Yeah, it was the weirdest thing, yeah. (laughs) Last year, I guess, yeah. It was last year. Um, (laughs) Sorry, continue. (laughs) Before that, though, I'm sure you were working on logistics of supporting an album when you live so far apart and, you know, being an indie band and, and just- juggling everything. I always think about guys with day jobs who put out albums, you know, the most basic thing is like, I got to get time off of work so I can tour to support this album. Sure. So when the world ended, which I think was, when did they shut everything down? Was it the 18th or the 19th? So our show was the last show in Seattle on, on the 13th. And then the Sunday after, I mean, the show was on Friday. Mm -hmm. I flew home to LA on Sunday and then I started quarantining on Monday. So. Yeah. Cause we canceled or postpone tree fort like two weeks out. 16 times <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah i remember <laughs> <laughs> it's like we're, no, we're good no we're not good yes we are yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it was yeah it was touch I and mean, go but yeah i mean guy and i have photos from being in the studio making this record in 2017 so i mean we started this pretty soon after um babies Maybe. came out and then we really sat on it for a while in just trying like, we were like okay well we've got a good record what do we want to do with this thing um how do we want to get it into the world and so we kind of 
just really planned and planned and tried to save up some money and figure out the long-term best structure for it and whether we were going to put it out on freak out or whether we were going to pitch it to other labels and that sort of thing. And so, you know, it, it took about three years from start to finish. So yeah, I mean, it was definitely tough for us to kind of put three years of work into something and then just have the rug yanked out from underneath your feet and all your touring and that KXP and studio and your trips to Europe and Mexico. And we were talking about Australia for this last year and, you know, all that kind of stuff just disappears. So, I mean, I think we've made the best of it and I'm still really proud of the record. And I've, it's been actually kind of a blessing to both of us to have a year to just kind of decompress from running nonstop for four years previous to that. And then just be able to like sit and make some new music. So I'm not, you know, I, obviously I would rather things have gone the way that we wanted them to, and there wasn't a giant pandemic and we could have Mm -hmm. toured normally, but I think we've made the best of it. How long did it take you to come to that conclusion? I mean, probably early summer. By early summer, we were working back in the studio on a bunch of new songs. You know, at that point, there was no, I, I, I mean, that was the thing you got to remember back in March. I mean, but back in March and April, there was so much still unknown of just like, okay, well, Tree Fort's going to be in September and we're going to have a vaccine or something by like mm-hmm. August and everybody's going to be like back to touring by the fall. And, and so I think it just kind of took a few months for us all to be like, no, we're going to stick with this for a while. And it's, this is the reality, you know? Mm. Totally. Kind of seemed like they were, they were introducing things to us in three week increments. Mm, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I felt that way. It was like, they knew people would freak out if they, the reality was already written on the wall of what we were going to be dealing with, but they couldn't just show people that because it'd be like, you know, uh, when you get the bends from coming up from a depth too quickly, <laughs> you know, people's heads would have fucking exploded. All would have had the bends. Yeah. 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 No, that happened to maybe closer to June and we're like, oh shit, we're in this for a while. So. <laughs> we got started recording just to have a new record pretty quickly after, because I've, I've been recording at home as a coping mechanism a lot. And Smokey Brights lent me some gear here so that I could record in my apartment. And so I got like right to work on just like, fuck the record's screwed for right now. Let's start something else, you know, to kind of deal with it. And then Ian was coming home because he had custody of his son up here with his family and they were spending time together, you know, kind of quarantined together. So we just had like the unique opportunity of being, for us at least being in the same city (laughs) was a unique Mm -hmm. thing. And this, this lockdown, we were like, well, I'll be just with each other and we'll start cutting some new tunes and trying to just make sense of the world while we do this. Because you haven't had the opportunity to play these songs every night for a year, mm-hmm. do you think you look at this album differently? I would think that if you'd played them every night for a year, would you be sick of these songs by now? I mean, we've been playing lately and... Humpty Dumpty for years at this point and I'm not really sick of that I, I don't know I mean that's a that's a whole other side conversation about part of what's been nice about being a band that didn't live in the same place until now was being able to just use different musicians and everything kind of feels different every tour you know we've got these guys we would play with in Austin that made the band sound a little more like stonesy country rock we've got musicians in Europe and everybody's got their own feel we've got kind of a punkier band in Mexico so I just I just I didn't really ever get burned out on things because you were playing them with different vibes or longer outros or whatever, every different tour. I do, I do feel bummed that we haven't been able to yes. really get into playing these live. It's less that I was tired of the old stuff than I'm just been like, fuck, these songs were going to be really fun to play live. We have yeah. to do it. You know? and he, he's really good about weeding out the crap. Like I write a lot more than what we put out. So like, when, when we put something out, Ian's looked at it and said, I'm into this and I want to produce this. And so we talk about it. And when it comes out, it's a song we're really happy with. So we're not just releasing music to release it. And I, I think there are a lot of examples of bands that do that, especially in like the psychedelic rock scene where it's just like, let's cut this and put it out. Um, we don't do that, you know? And I, I think that's what's made, what's given us some longevity and what's also made it so we don't kill each other on tour. I also think we haven't killed each other because we didn't live in the same place. So let's see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. We live in the same place. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to have someone who sort of squelches your inner Ryan Adams, the urge to release every single thing. In a lot of ways. It's oh, good to God. not have a Ryan Adams in your band. <laughs> yeah. Yep, little Ryan. Um, All right. So let's lead but... off. We're going to play the title track from Boys. Uh, as we lead into this, you guys want to tell us anything about this particular song? Well, I think you guys can imagine, based on the lyrical content, what I was writing about. 
So if you take anything away from it, it's exactly what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. the song and uh, Bullies the album out from Freak Out Records. Um, we'll tell you more about that a little bit later. But uh, so Acid Tongue, here you are. I guess like we were just talking about during the short break, just like we'll get into the Seattle stuff. You, um, I'm super curious. I mean, sounds like guy, uh, you're from Tacoma. Uh, West or, Seattle right now. You're West Seattle now, but we're- yes. One of you I thought was from Tacoma from an article I read, but anyway, but you're familiar with the area for many years. You went to UW, Ian, oh, yeah. all that kind of stuff, and grew up in Vancouver, uh, Washington, which is obviously right down there by Portland. But yeah, I mean, what do you, what do you, what's your take on Seattle right now in music, music-wise, arts-wise, culture-wise, and you know, how have you maybe seen it change since you first, and it's a little bit difficult right now because things have not been happening yeah. in the last year. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But it, just like over the last years as a band and as artists in that community, what, what what do you think? Well, all of my friends' bars have closed, <laughs> and um, all of our bands are struggling. I mean, it's I, it's hard to knock a city right now for just trying to survive. But I think, you know, I moved back here three months ago, and it's it's really great to be here. And I think it's it's been really valuable to me to be able to kind of ride out the difficulty of right now and have family close by and have a little more like I, I live in a really great neighborhood with a, a nice cozy little house that I'm renting and it's just a way better environment than LA in terms of like COVID and day-to-day -day life and I mean this, this summer our joke was the summer you know Garcetti shut down the parks and the hiking trails so people couldn't congregate outside and then film and TV was closed and you couldn't go to the gym and the entire city just realized why the fuck do we live here? <laughs> Cause there's nowhere to go and nothing to do. And you're just paying a ton of money to live in like a giant homeless crisis that's on fire and the sky's blood red. So, you know, it, it's, it's nice to be back here, but I mean, in terms of the music scene, 
I mean, I don't have negative things to say at all about anything. I, I think even the Amazon thing, which I might've picked a battle with before, like I've, I've had a lot of really great conversations in the last year with folks at Twitch and Amazon Music who are trying their fucking best to help out. So, you know, could the tech companies do more for the community? Absolutely. Is that just a Seattle thing? No, that's the whole country. And that's the problem with capitalism. But, you know, I think everybody's just trying to help each other out right now and stay afloat. And it's been really nice for us to be able to make music with people in other bands um, because everybody's home and not on tour. And so we were able to kind of collaborate and create new ideas together. So I don't know. I just, I, I'm in a very positive place right now in terms of my relationship to the city and to the music scene. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Go for it, guys. I think, I think we're both in a really positive place about it right now, despite like maybe our negative feelings about a lot of the industries out here and a lot of, a lot of the new transplants and the recent transplants that can really bring life down. But on the flip side, we're really privileged to be in the situation we're here right now. You know, we both have family in town and they've been super supportive during this whole COVID crisis and just our industry crisis. And even if it's not like, even if it's just emotional support, that sort of thing, or just feeling closeness from a distance, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm spending every day coughing on my family or something. I just mean having that sort of like, if something happens right now, I know who to call. And that's a good feeling right now to have when you're going through such a stressful period of time and a time of transition for the industry. So I think that Seattle is going to need guidance. And I feel like, you know, me and especially with Freakout Records and me and Ian's relationship with the bands in town, it needs leaders and leadership and it needs people who kind of set trends and set the tone for things. And so we've felt sort of an obligation to step up. You know, we're both, we both made a, a, t- a decision to be here now, you know, and we don't have to be, you know, I mean, we want to be for our families, we want to be for that, but I also want to influence the music scene and the community here as we start to rebuild. So, you know, Acid Tongue is going to take this bigger role in our lives, you know, and Seattle therefore will also be a big part of that. Yeah. Well, how do you guys think, what do you, what do you envision is like stepping up to do? I mean, you've been putting out some music, you've been writing music and all that kind of stuff, but as things ideally move into, um, you know, semi-normal concerts happening, vaccines in people's arms and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. What do you guys envision for yourselves? As I think it's, it's tough to differentiate like the band and acid tongue from just guy and I as individuals, but I mean, clearly like guy, yeah. guy, Guy has the festival. He's got freak out. Him and Skylar have their ties to the community that they're going to keep working on. You know, I have my management and label business based out of LA that I've already started trying to help more artists up here. Yeah. Kind of gourmet music. Break in. Yeah, my company, gourmet. My, my company, gourmet music. So I, you know, I've already had a lot of conversations with Seattle artists of like trying to help them figure out how to better release their music and get a foothold in the bigger music scene because it is really. I mean, we came up in this, and I've. Guy and I both been through it. Like it's hard to break out of Seattle in this tiny pocket of the Northwest and have anybody in the rest of the country hear your music, internet age or not, you know? So I'm trying to kind of help more people figure out those steps and really learn how to kind of run their band like a business. And, you know, I mean, there's also, we talked about it a little bit before you guys started recording, but you know, a big passion of mine is politics and getting more involved on that level. And, you know, I've had friends here that are involved with like grants and the beer project and the local music scene talk to me about maybe, you know, finding ways to get involved with them or getting involved in national politics more. I don't know. I just, I think there's a lot of ways we can get involved that aren't just like releasing music, which we're still going to do. And we're going to do a lot of that too. (laughs) Yeah. And, and on top of that, like I'm, I'm producing music for other artists right now. I mean, we're working with about a dozen different artists producing tracks or, you know, I'm doing Shana Shepard's whole record. Um, I'm working on the new Biblioteca album and, you know, people are coming to me now, finally, after all these years of putting stuff out and saying, I want to make a song with you or I want you to produce my record. And that's, that's really how you start putting your stamp on a scene. Mm-hmm. You know, there is an entire scene, you know, not Nashville doesn't need third man records, but third man records is in Nashville, you know, and not I don't necessarily think Seattle needs freak out. But, you know, we're building something here. And I yeah. think it's it's kind of a necessary thing for the community to thrive. I would agree. Yeah. And, and to bring it back to, to music, because we're going to play uh, two more songs. Uh, you both talk a lot about collaboration mm-hmm. and 
there's only two permanent members of Acid Tongue, but you play with all different types of people. Um, tell us who, so the recording that we have is from a benefit and the name that's slipping my mind right now. Is it a, was it a- Oh, it's I Voted. Um, it was a, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, trying to get people to vote. So, so tell us who you've got playing with, with playing with you on these tracks and what inspired you to change, to arrange them like, did you get some different instrumentation going? Yeah, I mean, um, we used our kind of go-to Seattle crew now, which is always fluctuating, but for the last year and a half-ish, this has kind of been the consistent core people we always focus on. Um, James Squires is playing congas and bongos, who usually subs in for me when I was living in LA and couldn't make a show. He'd be the one playing normal drums, and he's been one of my closest friends for years, so it's just really fun when him and I get to be on a stage together and not, you know, just each other's, I don't know, counterpart. Um, and then Dune Butler is playing bass, who we met through James. James was years ago was like, you guys have to have this guy Dune playing bass. He's incredible. Yeah, and he's in and, dozens of bands. Dozens yeah. of local bands. So yeah. him and Guy hit it off and him and Guy developed a relationship before I had had really come back. And um, he is, he's just like a total sweetheart and he's a great bassist and he's just really fun to hang out with. And, you know, as we've talked about being Guy and I are both sober, it's nice to just have very mellow, friendly people around who kind of help keep that energy. So Dune's just a really great personality to have. And then Phil Peterson, who's our string arranger, who plays all the strings and arrange them for, for the album Bullies, lives here in Seattle. And he works on a lot of bigger, like kind of pop projects and major label albums. So he doesn't like tour with us because he's working full time. But whenever we're here and we have something going on in Seattle, he's just stoked to play and he'll hop on whatever he can be, so. And, and and when you write the songs for that album and, and upcoming albums, do you envision them occupying different arrangements? A quiet, um, a loud version, a simple version, a stripped down version, you know. I Well, that happens no matter what, but no. I mean, I write a song to write a song. And, you know, I bounce a lot. Of, I either send Ian a voice memo. It's just like me acoustic with my voice. Or now, more recently, I've been really like stretching it out and kind of arranging it, how we might produce it through GarageBand. Yeah. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, like I'm very oriented on the lyrics hitting hard and, and the song having a general melody that's catchy, something that's going to get stuck in your head. So that's our core belief is, you know, we have to keep things, you know, catchy and interesting and profound. And beyond that, we really enjoy letting them transform into whatever with the musicians we love, because, you know, we just, we, we choose people who we've either toured with their band or we've had a recommendation and they get to come in and put their own stamp on it. So this is exciting for both parties as they do it because they want to, they want to do what they can do to, to bring something to the song and bring something fresh and new to it. And we want to hear that so that we're having a lot of fun playing it, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think going backwards even too, like any song that can't be performed acoustically and stripped down to the bare bones and still sound good is not a good song. <laughs> so for us, they're, I mean, it's kind of by default, like you should be able to play the track with just a guitar and a tambourine and have it still be enjoyable or you're not making good music, <laughs> you know? Yeah, or you're yeah. making, I, I mean, that can preface in, in rock, I'm sure. I mean, you can make like house mixes in the electronic right. world that aren't gonna translate, but in rock music, if you can't just play with a guitar, what are you making? So. Yeah, I mean, I've seen videos of Katy Perry playing an acoustic guitar, and it sounds fantastic. That those totally, I can never totally. listen to those songs. That one time, T Pain did the uh, Tiny Desk at NPR and blew everybody's mind because he could sing really well and nobody knew it. I mean, yeah, yeah at the end of the day, there, everybody's just musicians that are trying to make good songs. So, oh, I miss Tiny Desk right now too. <laughs> so, yeah, seriously, the live ones uh, at least, so the ones in the studio or in yeah. office, I should say. But um, I was thinking we should slide into those next two songs. Probably. Yeah. What should we know about those moving into it? These are the lover, the loving songs. The loving love songs. songs. I really love right. them. <laughs> they were not intentionally so close in name. They were on two different records. Um, uh, well, I mean, a fun thing Guy can talk about is if loving you is easier was created. Speaking of all of our versatile musicians and bands all over the place, uh, this one was made in New York with the whole band when he was living out there. Yeah, I had a, I had go-to musicians in New York City, and we all teamed up in Brooklyn. And one of them was, well, he he went to Berkeley in 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 um Boston, the School of Music, and so a lot of his Berkeley crew lived in a house together in Ditmas Park, and so they built the studio in the attic, and we cut that 
EP there. And I was basically like, I lived there for about three years and that EP was just li like live documenting a breakup I was going through. <laughs> and like, I wasn't even really realizing it at the time, but that's why we named the EP the night we broke our lease. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great title, I think, for, <laughs> for an EP. I gotta yeah, say. yeah, it's a love story, you know? <laughs> I like to thank her for the way she makes me feel If I could do the things she likes to do for me I wanna tell her she's the best that she can be If I really love her the way she loves me It's hard to find Conversation is not a vibe Another dreamer who lies in my bed We'll go dancing inside my head Thank my band. These guys rule. Easy. 
what does it take to be able to be that vulnerable when you're writing lyrics? It's so like, I mean, I guess we talked about me stopping drinking, so I can kind of go off that because people can relate to that. But part of when you, you know, for me quitting drinking, you have to be honest with yourself, you know? And I think a lot of people, when they take a step in their life like that, they need to have a sort of honesty and be able to look at things in a sober view. And I didn't always have that for myself and grew up in kind of like a chaotic household. And I think music has been that sort of lens for me to see the world kind of as it is. And so I really channel a lot of that heartbreak and just my general musings on the human condition into my songs. And it's how I cope with things. It's how I make sense of the world. You know, it's, it's really, for me, it's an outlet to kind of that, that big, sad feeling that everybody gets hit with that wave, you know, maybe it's once a week for you or once a day, but this is what I do to satiate that dark hole, you know, and you feel better afterward. Not always, but yeah, I mean, it's exciting to really, I mean, if you guys enjoy listening to music and for any fan of our music, they get excited hearing it. And that's the feeling that it gives me to write it. You know, like you should see me on my couch when the cushions are just like me jumping up and down. God, my back hurts so bad. But <laughs> when, when you're, but I get excited like that and I'm sitting there demoing and I'm like, this is gonna, like yesterday, we were working on a song with Death Valley Girls right now. And there was just, it was a mess kind of coordinating everything. And basically long story short, they didn't, they wanted me to rewrite some of the lyrics. And so I rewrote the whole song lyrically at least. And, you know, I'm watching yesterday was January 6th and fucking, you know, riot day at the Capitol in, in, you know, in DC. And I'm seeing that and channeling that into the lyrics. Cause I'm having every same, I'm irritated. I'm upset. I'm ashamed. I'm sad, scared, like I'm all of it during while CNN's playing on my laptop and I'm having to do this rewrite. So I channel that into the song and we have this really nifty, I wouldn't call it a political song per se, it's more of a satire, but that was the vibe. And, you know, I sent it back and they're digging it, you know, they're going to be singing that with me. And so it's just cool to have that as an outlet while these things are going on, because again, I'm making sense of the world there, you know? Mm -hmm. That was a confusing thing to see, the Dems win, in the morning, I'm beyond excited. And suddenly we got guys with, you know, AR-15 storming the Capitol and a woman gets shot and killed. Yeah, that, not, mm -hmm. our, not, our, not our proudest hour. No. Definitely not. But I'm curious, so both of you, a guy maybe in particular, a songwriter, do you write in other genres? Are you like a poet? Are you a fiction writer? Or do you go there? Or is it mostly like the, 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 you know, the songwriting's the thing? I've done it to get it out of my system. Like I've had a bunch of like the beginnings of like a, a, play, a script for a play or, mm -hmm. you know, for a short film. I've also been heavily in every single music video we do. I'm overseeing the art direction with somebody. I'm overseeing the editing. Like I'm handling the tone you're seeing. So there's a story there that I'm trying to tell beyond the music. And, you know, I've done short prose. I wrote for the Daily at the University of Washington. Okay. So I've, I've bounced around, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think music's just where it's at and the rest of it's kind of like a, a sort of a futile exercise to, you know, mm -hmm. shake out the willies or whatever. I just shit post on my Instagram and my Twitter stuff. So I'm, that's, yeah. that's, that's my creative writing. He's a, he's a, he's a graphic designer. Ian, Ian is yeah. our, designs all our, our, our album covers. Yeah. Did you, you did the logo too? Yeah, anything you've seen for Acid Talk, I have, if it's a poster or an album cover or a t-shirt, I, I drew it, so. I felt, I felt like the logo kind of had kind of a Big Daddy Roth feel to it. Yeah. <laughs> <Cool>. I'll take <laughs> it. <laughs> He's a dad. <laughs> well, let's talk, about, let's talk about the music because I'm interested in something. I want to talk a little bit about how it all started. Per the uh, official story, you met at a Super Bowl party, or you were at the Super Bowl party and decided to collaborate there. Um, I'm interested because I dug back and, and watched uh, guys, uh, this is like lame music journalist 101, guys old band Fox and the Law. Oh, dope. Yeah. And Ian's band, the Mama Rags, 
and oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> apart. I mean, guy, there you are. And, and, and uh, what Ryan Granger shows up in one of your videos singing. And yeah, it's very he used blue. to be in the band. Yeah, and, and you're playing, and Ian, you're playing in a band that's inspired by a, the name of a band song and is playing, like you're playing with brushes and playing Americana. How did you meet in the middle? Because I think what you're doing now is neither one nor the other. It's somewhere in the middle. No, we, I mean, yeah. I, well, I mean, we, we met because I was very hungry and obnoxious and <laughs> um, early music industry, just trying to schmooze everybody and, and get whatever opportunity I could get, even though in the grand scheme of things, that was like begging for tiny local shows in Seattle. And I probably didn't need to be so abrasive and annoying. But uh, one of the bands that I hit up was Guy about like, my band needs to open for Fox and Law because you guys are doing things and we're not and like, we're really great and this, that and the other thing. And, and that pretty much just turned into us becoming friends. We played some shows together, but it wasn't like a lot of that so much as just, mm. I started coming over to him and Granger's house and hanging out all the time. And we were just around and, and pals. And um, then, yeah, I mean, we just, we, wa we were watching the Super Bowl at Guy's house in 2014, 2015. Um, 2015 the year we lost the year we lost so worst. we were we were definitely losing already and guy and i decided to just go down to the basement where they had their studio set up and start jamming and and originally it was you know i've got these songs that are too poppy for fox and law the guys don't want to play them so i'm going to do a solo record do you want to play drums and i was like yeah sure that sounds fun and then like a month later he comes down and he's like i got it we're gonna call it acid tongue and i was like well okay apparently this is the band now and then Fox and the Law went to Europe and his label out there really responded to the little EP that we wrote and they wanted to put that out. And a lot of friends here in Seattle and at KXP were really receptive to it. And we started getting some really great support openings. Like we were, I think we opened the first King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard US tour. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of those sort of White Reaper was like our second show. There was a lot of like just great opportunities that kind of fell in our lap immediately. So we both just kind of realized this was the place to focus our attention. Um, yeah. And and uh, what, then there was like music, common musical common ground from the start. Yeah. No, no, I would say yes no. I would <laughs> say yes. Like, he loves like Built to Spill and all of this oh. like, and Grateful Dead, and I'm over here listening to pop music. So. Yeah, but we both love we both love the Stones. I mean, first yeah. and foremost, we love the Stones. We both are really into shit. Like, we actually like unironically both like Elton John. You know, yeah. we're we're into you know both the early Fleetwood Mac stuff and the later Fleetwood Mac. You know, yeah. I think we have these weird things that like being guys that like take pride in having eclectic taste in music. We also have those guilty pleasures that seem to cross over and really shape the image of the band, you know? No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm being making jokes about, it, but yeah, I mean, we have a lot of the same taste. We spent all of this year doing a record club with some of our friends in New York, where we would share albums and talk about them with the four of us on zoom every week. And guy and I are over here trying to convince some psych guys why Freddie Gibbs is amazing. You know what I mean? So, um, <laughs> So you didn't have an argument of like, no, no, Fleetwood Mac with Peter Green's the best, everything after that's uh, I think I'm, oh, more, I'm a Beatles guy and he's a Stones guy. I, I appreciate the Stones as much, but I just yeah. like, he's definitely yeah, the Stones yeah. one and I'm the Beatles one. But yeah. it's interesting guy, and I hope this is taken in the most positive way, but when I hear you sing, I hear a lot of Bowie. Oh, definitely going for oh, that. Oh, for sure. And I, rip off, agree there. I rip off Jonathan Richmond a lot. Really? Um, oh yeah, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with this band, but Timber Tambor is another like huge influence on how I deliver my vocals, my voice, that whole thing. I I'm, think they played Tree Fort before. They did, yeah. Yeah. I know the name, but I don't know that I saw their show. Yeah, because I, I, I want to say I saw them either at Tree Fort or I saw them around the time they were touring for it. But yeah, they're fantastic. But I mean, I, I had to because I don't have a normal I don't want to call it normal, whatever you want to call it. I don't have a mainstream voice. So you're never going to hear me on top 40 pop. You know, that's just not the timbre of what I'm doing, what I'm putting out. So I have to figure out, you know, how to deliver. And I take a lot of cues from soul music and classic R&B and things like that. And I know that I have that kind of nasally, raspy kind of voice going on. So I look at artists like Bowie and I'm like, damn, like, you know, that's not a conventional voice or even a way of singing. But, you know, he wrote fucking Let's Dance, you know, and that was huge. <laughs> yeah, he did. So we're going to listen to uh, is Lately and Liars. 
that's not one song title that's two because and i actually put them there and i had like ask guy about bowie because i think that's kind of on display <laughs> in these two tracks but let's give it a listen Yeah. 
transparent philosophy The lies you choose to believe Well, they don't tell you it ends like this One of the things, so, you know, when we set up these podcasts, there's a lot of back and forth with emails. And one of the things we say are, what do you guys want to talk about? What are you guys up to? And I know you're doing a lot of collaboration with other bands, but you're also, you said you're also putting together a follow-up to Bullies. And I thought, well, you know, this is a great time to be writing songs in your house, obviously. But I think there's an extra twist now because I was also wondering, well, how do you record an album when you live 1,200 miles away? This, I can't get my hands around this. I've it seems to be more and more common, but I can't seem to get my head around it. But now Ian's back. So so what is sort of the plan? Except our producer is still in L.A. So <laughs> ah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> so that's actually it's been even it's probably been more challenging. Yeah. So I'll just back up a little bit. I mean, this summer, Guy and I started self-producing a bunch of singles and working with other artists. So we have one that'll probably hopefully be coming out in the next few months with Calvin Love, who's a Canadian singer-songwriter that we both love. And then we're doing this one with Death Valley Girls and some of our friends from the band, uh, our buddy Glenn from Trip Tides, an LA band played keys on some stuff. So we've been hiring out to all of our friends because they've been home and everybody's got their kind of home gear setups and you can bounce tracks around and that's been really fun. But yeah, in the last month, we decided to kind of hone in and focus on a follow-up record and working with a, a producer and just kind of treating it like a real album and not just kind of some singles we were doing for fun. So uh, we're working with Eric Jansen, who is someone I work with at my company, Gourmet Music, a lot. He's a member of the band Left Field Messiah with Steve from Hot Heat and one of the guys, Jeremy from Fits in the Tantrum. And he also produced this Australian singer, EJ Warland, who I love. He's one of my favorite clients. He's just got an amazing voice. So Eric's a really great producer. And he's really fun to work with. But yeah, the new challenge has been us here and him there. Um, traditionally, I just go into a studio in LA and knock some things out. And usually Guy would be in town and we'd do something together and then he'd take off again. And now it's, you know, I, I had to FaceTime Eric in the studio a couple of weeks ago while I was tracking drums to make sure I was getting the right thing. And then we're texting back and forth on this chain and Guy has to send him a bunch of different bounces from Grotten Band of guitar parts. And then he's it's, putting it's, it all it's together rough. in LA. It's pretty rough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been nice that 
COVID hasn't prevented the ability to create music, but it's definitely not as ideal as if we could just all be in the same room, for sure. I think I think what we did before on previous records, like even when I was in New York City and Ian was in LA, I was in LA a lot. My family is, I'm from there originally. And so I would stay with them. We'd I could be laser focused on something for a week or two straight and we could knock it all out. Yeah. And then I'd, I'd go home and be home for a while, you know? And, and we were on tour so much that being that far apart was necessary. <laughs> Not necessary because we hated each other, but you just, you don't even want to be in each other's orbits for a minute when you get off the road because you, you all need to kind of do your own thing and just like shake it out for a bit. And like a lot of times we would still go into the studio after a long tour and do it. And that can be rough, you know, and can be taxing. And I know, at, you know, more than one occasion, there was probably little arguments that popped up that weren't really arguments about the record or whatever. We were just tired, you know? So I think COVID, if anything, right now, we're home and we're rested. And so- I'm, I'm not rested. I, I feel more tired, but it's a different time. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's how we feel. <laughs> and on the last album, I, I talked to you about this guy when we did the podcast before, but I didn't, Ian wasn't there. The last album had a really kind of a big, clean sound. You know, yeah, a really, a really nice polished sound. Are you is is that? Are you going to go for that same sound again with the same producer? That's definitely. So we're not working with the same producer this time. Our our producer Matt Drenick, who did Bullies, is working down in LA. We love Matt, and he's definitely been like the number one person in our camp forever. So you know, we always. So I still run like the new singles we worked on that we self-produced this summer. I ran all the mixes and the bounces for the masters by him before I signed off on anything. Cause I, you know, we still really trust Matt's opinion. I definitely think we're going bigger and polished still um, just because that's, I mean, like I said, my favorite musician of all time is Elton John. And my dream is to be Elton John and have like an Elton John sounding band. So of course some of that influence is going to come here and the record we're making now it's it's not so much like a big glammy record we're, we're both very focused trying to make like a soul record yeah. um and the big the big uh comparison that both of us and our producer eric have made is more richard swift if you're familiar familiar with richard swift he was a producer down in la or i'm sorry down in portland who, who passed away a few years ago but that's Shows not quite coma. as yeah yeah well he was in yeah, yeah. so yeah. um it's not quite as big it's a little more just kind of a wall of sound approach, but it's, it's, it's got this yeah. wall of sound vibe going on with it i think that's yeah. the word he's looking for that's like what I'm looking for. that's what the producer producer's done a lot of soul stuff and so he really vibed with us wanting to give it this effect of dreaminess for this mm -hmm. record and i think that's been the general mood during yeah. covid is just the days seem to go by and it's and we're also watching watching kind of um a shift in the paradigm of how we live. So yeah, yeah. the way we've been incorporating that sonically is to put out this really great kind of upbeat soul record with these really sad lyrics about, you know, how cynical yeah. we are about life in general and give it this sort of dreamlike feel, you know? But I think, I think a lot of the components, like we're still always trying to work with Phil, doing string arrangements on everything. Um, he'll still be on the new stuff. Um, the, the, honestly, what's funny is it's probably the, the big comparison and both of these two albums are the only times Guy and I have consistently just both been on the record. Um, I oh, wasn't yeah. on like, I wasn't on half of Babies. He did the Night We Broke Our Lease EP with some of our friends in New York, the Beautiful Disaster EP, some of our friends in London. So it's kind of only in the last two albums that the two of us have actually been really focused and like able to work together. So I do think there's some clarity in that and not being so, like it's it's cool that we, use a million musicians and we're all over the place when we tour, but doing 10 songs that don't consistently have the same drummer or the same guitarist or the same producer is really tough to just kind of tie everything together and weave one coherent narrative together. That must be right. nice to have some continuity. Oh yeah, yeah. it's lovely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And when you look at like, I mean, wall of sound and stuff, I mean, some of the stuff, like there was a bit of like Stone Roses references, I believe that Larry brought up and also sort of yeah, the band like- the video and it sounded like the Stone Roses. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. We'll take and, that. I love yeah, that. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm a yeah. big fan. That was, I mean, way more my thing back in the grunge era era when we were in Seattle. I was like, uh, much more- I'm much more into Britpop too from like, if yeah. I- if you gotta make me listen to 90s music, it's gonna be like Oasis and Blur versus like Blur, <laughs> Soundgarden all day. Yeah. 
I would say ride or like slow dive or even like yeah you know, oh yeah slow, like I mean a band called Daughter I don't know if you're familiar with yeah them. ride like, just played Desert Days last year they had to fill in at the last moment because Shintaro Sakamoto got trapped mm-hmm. by the monsoon and ride was amazing it was a great set so oh yeah and yeah they bring we saw them some of my friends and i and those like that that wall of sound is real so totally. yeah <laughs> yeah it's pretty great but um i guess a, you guys need a brit pop breakout room on this soon oh i will i will 1000 percent make a brit pop record i am so in it's yeah i'm all about it yeah, I'd be I'd be down. Larry, that was not Larry's thing as much, but you know, he got into country. That's all right. But also, um, well, as we get into the the last song, we're gonna go out with. Give us maybe a year. Just like what what the fuck's gonna happen in your mind right now? A month and a half out, what do you think twenty twenty one is gonna be like? And twenty twenty two is gonna be like? And like the best thing that could happen. I don't want to make it a dour thing, but. If they could what's the in. best what's the best thing that could happen the in the music thing... industry for you guys for acid time, well I guess. Yeah. well well dear listeners by now you know how the transfer of power went and hopefully vaccines <laughs> are looking better when you're listening to this than at the moment but yeah i mean i think in a perfect world for us vaccine rollout is on the better end of the timetables and we can tour I mean, frankly, personally, I don't really still want to leave my house until this time in 2022. But, you know, I hope we can tour as soon as possible and that it's safe and that people feel comfortable and that we feel comfortable and that, you know, we can make it back out to Mexico because we have friends that are like family there and we miss them a lot. We've had death like directly friends of ours in Mexico. And yeah. it would be great to it would be great to spend time with them again and hug them. And I miss a lot of our European friends. That's it. I mean, it's to me, it's less about like career trajectory and any concerns over like where this band's headed from like a a, like political standpoint so much as just we have friends all over the world that we miss and we haven't seen in a year you know and i'm really excited to kind of i mean that my i have always loved the freakout festival because that's the one time a year that all of our friends are in the same place it's like thanksgiving for our our little music family and so you know, I think it really hit hard in November when you didn't get to go down to Ballard and get sweaty with Smoky Brights and all hug each other and, and dance around. And, mm-hmm. and I'm just excited for that next year. Yeah. I mean, I guess my biggest thing is I'm optimistic that people maybe like really felt that uh, that gap in their life that shows weren't around. And, you know, it's insane that we got a stimulus passed, let alone one that had a bailout for the music industry. So I anticipate that there will be some even if we only get a fraction of what is being doled out, the industry will be able to rebuild quicker. And we're going to see cool venues, new ideas popping up. You know, people have a little money to play around with. They're going to take more chances. And I think there's going to be this push to rebuild and people want that, you know, Americans don't like waiting. That's been the whole problem. And they, they're just, they want results and they fucking want them now. So I think when we start to see vaccinations go up and we're able to reopen, people want fucking music right now and they don't want to wait. And so I'm excited to see what that, what that means for us. You know, I, I'm biding my time and we're finding other ways to make money in the meantime. But when the, you know, the green light goes, like we're ready. <laughs> We are. I know. Absolutely. It's going to be a little bit of like in a roaring uh, 20s style sort of like, here we go. Here we go. That would be sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, guys, for uh, joining us on our little Zoom call here. Thank you for having us. Yeah. That was was great. Maybe before the year's out, we'll be able to see you at Tree Fort. That's the idea. Oh. September. In September. In September. We're hopeful for that, but we'll see you in September. We're, we're moving forward to make those things happen but um, obviously being mindful of, of uh, other difficulties <laughs> difficult circumstances moving forward we'll see what happens but we were very hopeful to have you guys and all of freakout records i mean the all, all the folks that we were able to talk to and i hear music from over the last like five episodes of this podcast is like really amazing and it's a really a great connection and having seattle ties Larry and I, at least, having saddle ties. And it's just really been a pleasure to have the awesome. records uh, Thanks, represented. Man. So Thank you. Uh, all right. Before we go out on the oh. I forgot. You guys, uh, why don't you tell everyone how to find the music? Yes. Yes. Ian. So we are um, about 30 years ago, 
uh, Al Gore invented this thing called the internet. And <laughs> now you can find us there on everything. On most socials, it's literally just at Acid Tongue. And, you know, we're on Spotify and Bandcamp and SoundCloud and Amazon Music and Apple Music. Yeah. And, Je uh, Jenny, Jenny Lewis also, Jenny Lewis named a song after us. Heard about Jenny that. Lewis yeah. named a song after us. So when you look us up, don't get confused with her record. Although I don't, I've actually never listened to her record. Kind of at this point, it's on purpose. Intentionally, I just <laughs> adamantly tried to avoid it. Yeah. But Jenny Lewis is amazing. Yeah. And, you know, if you land on Jenny Lewis instead of our acid song, that's fine too. Just I hope you found some music you liked. So, <laughs> all right then. Let's play the music, and where will we see you, Mr. Wynn? Well, we'll see, hopefully, in September um, of this year, Acetong, we'll see you at the fest. Da, 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 da. Sometimes it's easy when they talk about love. They don't mention the bad part when enough is enough. Life comes at you quickly. Sometimes you burn out. Most of us just get older. God save the wicked God save the meek She calls me a man But you see me as weak I love your pros And I love your cons Most of us try to leave them But they don't let you move on Sometimes it's hard There we have it. That was Guy Keltner and Ian Cunningham of Acid Tongue. That was an awesome sample of their work, a great conversation. Just cool to connect with these bands this whole month and into, into the first week of March and kind of feel like we're, we're near the end of being so isolated from, uh, you know, acts like Acid Tongue. But we want to say thanks to Eavesdrop Studios for hosting this podcast and for all the stuff they do for us and so many folks in their network. We do want to thank these guys for coming on. I want to thank Larry Rosen for uh, leading a great conversation. And, you know, we are excited about September and next March. And, gosh, you can find out about all things Treefort at treefortmusicfest.com, all things Freakout Records at freakoutrec.com, and we shall see you at the fest. But tomorrow never came.